Welcome back to the Casey Adams Show. Today, we have Raz Ramanescu here on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming to the show, brother. Thanks for having me, Casey. Excited to be here. Of course. So we've been talking really on Instagram since 2018. I was looking back at our DMs. Finally making this happen now, almost five years later. Super stoked to have you on, and I appreciate you coming out. I know you know you used to live in LA, which is where we're filming, but you're now in Panama City. Talk to everyone Panama City, what what led to the move there? And then more importantly, I would love for you to give a high level of what you do because you run and operate so many different brands across all things digital, social, that I think there's so much to cover and I'd love to hear it from your perspective before we dive in. Amazing, yeah, the five years of charm. Happy to finally connect in person. Um, yeah, I started the journey about 12 years ago in the media space. So uh, first company ever co-founded was memes.com. Uh, First dive into original domains, original usernames. Yeah, um, we built that company from zero followers to over a hundred million fans uh, across Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you name it. Um, we were in the early days trying to sell brand deals to uh, brands, but it was a bit premature in 2012 trying to sell like Gucci or Fortune 500 companies meme campaigns. They didn't necessarily know what audience they were getting. Yep. Um, they invested much more in premium studio content and uh, us telling them, hey, this meme gets 30,000 likes versus your video that gets 800 likes. Like engagement's a thing, whether yeah. you guys like it or not. Um, that was, I think, the the first dive I had into. And this is 12 years ago. This is 12 years ago. Yeah. Wow. Operating. Um, the, the first domain we had was memes with a Z. Okay. You know, so that's how you say it in Spanish. Yeah. And then... Uh, <laughs> After we started getting a bit of success, we acquired the real domain memes.com. Um, what was, you know, like being someone that's always loved like OG usernames, OG yeah. domains, memes.com, like back then when memes were like being originated in the form of yep. culture, was that like a massive purchase or what was the state of the OG no, domain username it was world? Definitely like that? a massive purchase. Uh, don't want to say the exact price, yeah, no but worries. it was over a few hundred thousand dollars. Wow, uh, we were tracking for memes.com. For memes.com. Wow. We were tracking the guy that we bought the domain off of <laughs> and within 36 hours he had like a new ODR rate in his profile oh, pic. It seems like he kidding. just blew through the cash <laughs> instantly, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But um wow. the longevity and the SEO you get from that was pretty good. I would say that's the the first shot at learning how to operate like a bigger company, the do's yeah. and don'ts. We were much younger, early 20s at that point, so uh had a team of about 70 at one point out in LA. Wow. Um you learn a lot of lessons when you move fast there, you know, <laughs> for sure. Then uh, we realized that it makes a lot more sense to have like a targeted audience. Uh, so one thing we co-founded was 10 p.m. curfew, which is the largest female beauty and fashion network on social. Once again, the original handles we have at girls, at style, at females, at makeup. We have over 80 Snapchat shows. Wow. And uh, that gets about two billion monthly video views. Uh, much easier to sell into brands when you could tell them, hey, you get a beauty, fashion, lifestyle audience instead yep. of like a kind of vague, yeah. bigger entertainment audience. So um, that's a business that we took all the lessons we learned from our previous entities and um, put it in a, I'd say, a new organization. And it's uh, scaling pretty fast. We aspire to be the bar stool sports, mm -hmm. but female focused with that yep. company, starting to release some IP, uh, our own podcast to... Uh, you know, get as big as the call her daddies. Yeah. Um, Co-founded another company in the gaming space, and I grew up as a gamer. I spent a lot of my uh, childhood years uh, playing on the computer, PlayStation, yeah. etc. Um, that was one that we saw a market that was growing pretty fast. 
me and my co-founder Darren, uh, we started and once again, the original usernames, we got gaming on every platform. Love that. That company was uh, acquired in 2022 and it's publicly traded now on the Canadian Stock Exchange yep. and uh, still doing some cool things in that. We were just at the Gamer <laughs> Developers Conference. So yeah, we started another gaming focused media company. Um, growing up, my whole life was always a gamer. Spent quite a few hours every day playing games from first-person shooters, MMORPGs. Uh, me and my co-founder, Darren, started Game Lancer. Once again, the original uh, username strategy that we had with uh, all of our other entities. Uh, built a real laser-focused community around gaming. Um, that company is around 40 million fans right now. Also, 2 billion monthly video views and was recently acquired and is uh, publicly traded now. We uh, aspire to be one of the biggest companies in the gaming space. Yep. Um, and I have another one. I mean, it sounds crazy, <laughs> yes. but uh, so popped much. into, uh, we realized we were very good at building communities, very good at building social audiences, um, running paid media for other brands and other companies we market for. And naturally, the thing that was missing for us was our own product, yep. our own, um, let's say, thing to distribute to the masses instead of always being just like the distribution tool for somebody yep. else. So uh, at the end of 2018, we started uh, Underlining Beauty which is, uh, I would say, one of the fastest growing companies in the portfolio right now. Yep. Um, our hero brand is Nailboo, and uh, it's the largest nail brand in North America in terms of velocity at this moment in time. We're uh, in retailers. We sell D2C and in Amazon. And uh, our goal there is to become um, one of the biggest nail brands in the world. It's what I call a sleepy category. So not mm -hmm. too many people are uh, innovating in the space. Yep. You have your Sally Hansons, your SCs, your OPIs, but they've been on the shelf for a very long time and got comfortable. Yeah. And uh, we're planning to be on the shelf next to them and doing the things <laughs> that they might not know how yeah. to do. So um, I love been that. a fun journey. Got to meet a lot of cool people and uh, feels like just getting started, <laughs> even though it's uh, yeah. been 12 years. Very excited. I mean, there's so much to dive into and you're, you're the definition of a true serial entrepreneur, right? Like you have so many different businesses, gaming to beauty to media. And, you know, in some way they're all intertwined in terms Definitely. of like the foundational elements of what you're great at. But just to, you know, to walk it back from memes.com to getting into 10 PM curfew, when you were getting into the media space and now fast, you know, fast forward to 2023, what have been the biggest changes that you've identified um, from, you know, getting into the media, social media space to nowadays where there's, there's so much interesting things happening with Elon acquiring Twitter to meta rolling 100%. out the paid verification system, just like the truth. And then, you know, TikTok potentially being banned in the U S I think just the social media landscape is obviously it has been thriving the past five years, but I just feel like, and I'd love to get your perspective on where do you see social going over the next five years, considering the landscape is changing so quickly. Definitely. No, that's a great question. I feel like I've seen it all in the space <laughs> starting uh, before Instagram even existed. Yep. Um, we subscribe to the belief that anything can happen at any time. Totally. It's just a matter of probabilities. So uh, <laughs> pretty much we expect anything crazy to happen. Um, I would say that there's a lot of differences happening right now. Like Elon acquiring Twitter is, uh, I think, a power move on his part. And I think yep. he's going to be kind of the leader in the space with what everyone's doing since he's not necessarily scared to make changes quick. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about the, every account being verified for 1299. I'm not yeah. sure how that'll play out over. What are your, I think this is a topic just to dive into quick. 
pros and cons pay for verification, Twitter and Instagram. What are your thoughts on that? I, I think you're going to see a lot of fraud like happening yeah. on the business side. I mean, if people selling courses and companies drop shipping and uh, that was a problem before, if you can verify now for $12 and that's what psychologically people believed was like premium. Um, at the same time, maybe better for uh, people's self-esteem and value because everyone's viewed as like kind of equal on the platform. So I don't know. I think it's too early to tell. I think yeah. uh, if I, I agree. Like Arfa and I were talking about this earlier. I, I think I see it from both sides. It's on the one side of influencer ego. I see like a positive ego death in a Definitely. sense. And, you know, if you've read Ryan Holiday's book, yep. Ego is the Enemy. I think the industry can be such stigmatized. Hundred percent. And I think it's great in that context. But again, in the on the flip side, right? Like the people that not I don't want to say I've earned it, but just the differentiating factor from a networking perspective, whatever it may be. Like it, it was it, it gave something like aspiring younger creators something to quote unquote strive exactly. for. Um, but I think it's just you know it's a reframing of the industry and what's really valuable. You know, content, authenticity, community building. You see that changing so quickly. So I, I like so that perspective. You can still go to people's profile and go about this account yeah. and see when they get verified. <laughs> yeah. So if everybody's getting verified, like March 2023, you can yeah. pretty much guess if someone has the check mark before that. Yeah. But yeah, it's uh, it's tough to say. It's something everybody strive for, and usually it meant like you got really good at something, you got yeah. enough press, and then uh, you had credibility. But one thing coming up in uh, the social space, you realize that there's a lot of moments of opportunity that if you miss. They don't come around that often again. For example, uh, being able to grow on TikTok, we jumped on the platform the second it launched and yep. we got our usernames and we were growing at 100, 200,000 new followers a day. Then wow. Instagram to compete with TikTok released Reels. So if you posted Reels, you would be growing like crazy during that short amount of time. But after TikTok gets a bit more populated with users, everyone's posting multiple times a day, that growth rate slows if you miss like the reels thing on Instagram, you know? So yep. I would say the main thing to know about growing on Instagram and any social platform is uh, when you can accelerate, do it because the yeah. good times don't last forever. And there's always times where um, you can pretty much try to do anything and like yeah. you're not going to grow unless you put like ridiculous amount of ad spend behind it. And uh, oftentimes that's not even worth it. You know, if, uh, yeah. you're just getting followers and they don't convert. So totally. Now that's, Love the perspective there. I, I want to talk about the transition from, or not even the transition yet, but the media company overall, 10 p.m. curfew, yeah. building a company that is getting, you know, 2 billion plus impressions a month. Yeah. What is, what has been not only the formula, but your experience building and sustaining a media company at that level? Because, you know, you'll see tons of different brands or maybe, you know, pages that aren't necessarily companies get ridiculous amount of views, but the yeah. ability to monetize, to bring to advertisers, to maintain that viewership, that's the challenge, right? To do it once is one thing, 100%. but to do it and sustain it over a you know, multi-year, decade period is what makes you and you know your team so great. How have you gone about building and sustaining a media company across social in an omnipresent way? Yeah, I think uh, views and likes and that thing is one thing, but ultimately understanding what businesses need is another. So when you're speaking the language and you're talking to a large agency or a large brand and you're trying to tell them like, Hey, we have an account and we can do this and that for you. They hear that all the time, yeah. <laughs> you know, but if they know that you actually understand what they need to succeed and you can give them a perspective that 
even potentially their own team and house doesn't have, or you hit it off with one of the decision makers. So I would say everything has to be packaged properly. You can't just go rogue with a few pages and expect like Omnicom or publicists yeah. or WPP to be like, wow, you know, yeah. uh, you have to have a united front, a very good team. And if you do get in the door with them to, uh, let's say execute on a campaign, everything needs to be professional too. You have to be on time. You have to give them like the proper content, reiterations, rap reports. Um, A lot of the people that operate meme pages um, just stay at that level. And it's nothing bad. Like they use it as like a passive kind of like hobby. They never think like, let me build the next vice or let me build the next like bar stool. They think, hey, I'm going to keep posting. Maybe I'll close a few brand deals here and there. Yeah, that's not enough to win like the trust of like the big spenders and the big brands. You need to have a corporate website, materials that are updated on a regular basis, account managers like they need to feel like uh, they put their trust in you. They're going to get a return because a lot of the people you deal with on those sides of the the equation, they need to present something to their team after. Yeah. And if they take a chance on you and you just drop the ball when they go to their like vice president of marketing and they give the results that are, it's not going to be pretty. Right. Yeah, so totally. you have to empower them and uh, you have to give them the confidence that they can actually lean on you for anything. Yeah. No, I, I love that. I, I want to dive into the, the gaming sector. I, I grew up gaming myself a bunch and seeing what you guys have done with gaming game Lancer, you know, taking a company public, obviously I'd love to dive into that just to hear your ex- experience from an acquisition perspective, you know, Definitely. considering I, I went through one myself last year. Um, where did gaming begin? I know you talked about obviously your, your early days of being a gamer yourself, but I want to talk about that community specifically and really the the business journey that led to the positioning to get acquired. Definitely. I think there's so much to learn in there. 100%. Yeah, we, we looked at the landscape and we saw everybody in gaming was an esports team. And that's not necessarily the best business model. If you've looked at some of their financials, they'll do 30 million in revenue, but they'll lose 30 million to get that 30 yeah. And uh, I saw a, a tweet today that said FaZe Clan, you know, they went public last year, 100.4 billion to no, 30 million, to 40, now. Yeah, 40 yeah, million market 30, cap. 40. And they're trying to go private. And it's yeah. like, I saw that. And I was like, wow. Grand opening, grand closing. The model itself is skewed because uh, you never own your own distribution. So you sign somebody, then you have to put them on payroll to pretty much wear the phase or whatever yeah. tag. And then at any point when a brand deal comes in, the, the player keeps 80% of it. The company keeps, let's say 20%. And then yeah. nonstop, they have other managers whispering in their ears, like you're only getting paid that much. So yeah. we wanted to flip the script and say, Hey, if we own the distribution, not only can we become call it an MCN on steroids, but when we sign gamers and we work with creators, we get to post them on our channels and help them grow and empower them. And then yeah. when we sell brand deals to brands, Um, we don't have to chase down our gamers and have them switching prices on us. We basically can post it on our own network. And when you have the original handle, once you find a creative that works, if you run paid media through the gaming handle, everybody on the platform thinks it's like the original username by like gaming by Instagram, gaming by TikTok. So conversion rates are often higher, but we get to keep a hundred percent of that margin. Yeah. So how we're focused on building the business is sustainable and profitable. Uh, been in the game long enough to realize like just cause you post nice numbers, but you're not around <laughs> here in like 18 months to talk yeah. about it. You don't get the glory in the end. You get the grand opening grand closing effect. And uh, for us, all of our companies have been private and uh, 
when the Canadian company Wonder Gaming was looking to acquire a Game Lancer, me and Darren uh, discussed internally and we're like, hey, we have a lot going on. Um, I think this could be bigger if it was on an exchange and we could let retail investors come in. And uh, now it's just sticking to the basics, building a good company, yep. um, showing that over a long enough period of time, our model is more sound than the esports model. And if you look at the other players, there really isn't too many. There's IGN, who's yeah. uh, already been acquired and owned by a major. And there's there was a white space in the industry that nobody uh, really moved on. So we wanted yeah. to kind of fill that. I love that, man. So with, with the acquisition, um, what was that experience like for you in terms of from a leadership perspective, transitioning? And what would you, what, yeah, what was your biggest learning lesson through that process? Yeah, I'd say the biggest learning lesson is that, uh, you always got to take care of your team in a situation like that because it's two kind of tribes uniting in a sense. Yep. So you need to make sure that you're completely on the same page with everybody when you uh, merge the two entities. So the second that happens, there's always like a little bit of rust, you know, yeah, some yeah. personalities clash, visions clash. But when you realize, uh, I'd say you're lucky if once a merger happens, you're 100% on the same page as the acquirer yep. and uh, you guys can just hit the ground running. But Things always get shaken up, you know, because other people, if they uh, obviously investing their life and looking to build the company here, they yeah. hate the uncertainty when something like that happens. <laughs> yeah. So I would say uh, it's important to really make sure who your acquirer is, especially if you're planning to stick around and build the company, which that was our uh, initiative. Yeah. You know, we didn't want to just get a quick little cash out. We think it could be much bigger than it is now. Um, you got to be on the same page with the people. Yeah. You know? So that's... Uh, goes down to like the people you work with matters the most you know absolutely where did the the direct to consumer products come into place underlining obviously having these media companies you know and you see this model much more often nowadays versus obviously when you were getting 100%. started years ago like right like ben kaplan and all the guys from fuck jerry they were exactly. investors in media kits and seeing what they've done with what do you meme and their 100%. entire gaming uh -huh, business tequila yeah, it's like the model in terms of audience, owning the audience, creating products that could obviously fit in that. Like they've done that so well, in my opinion. For you guys, when did that, not only idea, but the the transition to say, hey, let's go launch our own products. We own the distribution now. Let's go and go on the, the products and integrate it. We, we started with drop shipping about six and a half, seven years ago. So the companies I'm talking about now are the ones you know about. <laughs> yeah. We uh, yeah, yeah. did a lot of other things through the process. Uh, we drop shipped a lot. So we realized I was selling like pet products, uh, plastic car hooks for the back of your vehicle. Yeah, yeah. And then we actually moved into selling some beauty products and realized like, wow, this is flying. So it goes yeah. back to the point of, you know, the products, the variable, but launching something, you need content. You need something that you can yep. advertise that's appealing to people and you re need the right economics. And uh, when we started testing beauty, we we're like, okay, this is cool. We were making money, but then you realize there's no IP being built here. This is pure arbitrage yeah. at a certain point. It's because you made a lot of money in your Shopify account. Unilever or PNG is not going to come knocking at your door being like, you guys are wonderful. Let us yeah. acquire this random thing. So uh, we took all the knowledge of learning how to, you know, deal with customer support at scale. You know, if you're doing volume and you're getting like 2000 emails a day, your fulfillment center's backed up, you know? Yeah. So it was kind of like the training wheels before you built a real brand, you didn't care as much as bad as it sounds like the customer experience when you're yeah. drop shipping. If someone took three weeks to get their package, it's like initially you felt like I'm not expecting this person to ever come yeah. back again anyways. So yeah. 
whatever, right? But then you learn that's the thing that matters when you're trying to build a brand is repeat orders. Yeah, repeat orders, retention. When they talk to you about when they talk about your brand to somebody else, are they recommending it or are they saying like, "Don't ever, I would yeah. never order again," right? Yeah. Um, and that's how we started uh, moving into the beauty and e-commerce space. Just kind of piggybacking off like the what's the word like gunslinger drop shipping approach yeah. and uh we really never slowed down since and uh we're a brand incubator so we launched our first brand was tap brow which was in the eyebrow space we identified uh anything that's big in retail so people were spending three to five hundred dollars to get their eyebrows done and yeah. we were saying like it's a lot of money it's booming in popularity what if we build that home solution for it and sell it for 29.99 and um it took off, but one thing we realized with that product is uh, the retention rate and the customer satisfaction wasn't as high. So even though yeah. we built a brand and we got almost a million customers on the Taprow brand, uh, when we launched Nailboo, it was night and day. And <laughs> like it was one of those things where we actually focus like 90% of our effort on that brand now. And it's the fastest one that's growing. Every retailer is going crazy for it. Yeah. And the retention is huge. And one thing we realized is uh, not all products are built the same. So we did the exact same system. We did the exact same thing we would do with anything, but all the metrics looked so much better. So <laughs> I always say, like, if you're going to put in the same amount of effort, make sure you look at what kind of results are coming out of it. Yeah. And uh, for Nailboo, everybody's creating endless UGC content about their nails. When for brows, people won't be posting a picture of their eyebrows every single day because yeah. it looks strange, right? Yeah, yeah and, that uh, makes sense. So it just took a life of its own. And uh, then you realize real quick what is a bit of noise versus what is like a real, like has the potential to be a unicorn. Yep. Then just laser focus there. Love that. Where do you, or not where do you, how do you spend your time on a daily basis, right? You have all these different brands that you're incubating, starting media as a founder, where do you spend your time and, you know, how do you build culture inside your organizations? Yeah. So I, I've always been, I think my strength was making sure we focus on the things that move the needle the most. And since we started with no funding, always it, everything we had to do had to work. Right. Yeah. So if it didn't work, you wouldn't, yeah, eat, you no wouldn't pay your error. rent. There's no yeah. room for error. Right. Um, and then as you bring people on the team and they believe in the vision, et cetera, you can actually lead them because you know what it takes to do it. It's not just someone blindly being like, just scale more. I don't yeah. want to hear it. You know, yeah. you could be like, okay, I, I understand your pain points because I was in the trenches at one point. Um, as crazy as it sounds, I have a notepad that's just broken down by company with top initiatives that need to be focused on. Yep. And at this point in time, like having good co-founders, yep. uh, solid team members, you really get to focus on what your strengths are, which is like the strategy, the fundraising, the yeah. putting the pieces together, the... In the context of direct-to-consumer products, if you're a brand out there, not even a brand, if you're someone out there that's going to launch something, you might have your own audience, right? People that have different pages yeah. or have communities. What's been your strategy to launch a brand efficiently to go to market when you have the audience? You know, that might correlate to someone listening where they're sitting on this gold mine of attention, maybe from a creator perspective or yeah. from, a, you know, owning these different assets and pages. How have you gone about that successfully? And what do you recommend uh, people do if they were to want to launch their own brand today? Yeah, I, I would make sure you check off all the right boxes first, you know, make sure you can sell it for a price that you can sustain like paid media because organically you can only post so much, right? Yeah. If you flood your page a million times with the same post, you're not going to get significant and uh, scalable growth. So 
I honestly think the hard work is done up front when you decide what you're going to release, what your costs are, and then it's nice to test a lot. So what I mean by that is start small, but have the ability to scale fast. But if you don't, let's say, start big and risk it all on one thing, then you're not going to get crushed if it doesn't work. But I would say after launching multiple brands, selling multiple things online, I would say everything has to have like an average order value or like a lifetime built into it or you won't succeed anymore in this space since iOS 14 kind of disrupted paid ads. But I would, uh, anything I'd launch, I would not just lean on organic if you're trying to scale to a significant level. You know, launch something that you can test your content organically, you can get hype organically, but ultimately you need to move it to paid media and you better have... uh, a big enough cushion in your unit economics to be yeah. able to sustain, um, call it 40 to $50 customer acquisition cost. And yeah. uh, that's how you find that product where you can spend like a hundred, two hundred thousand $200,000 a day on paid ads and you're not losing money on it. And uh, you hope to build the brand since you're getting that much exposure. But yeah. at a certain point, if you're getting the customer in the door at like a break even, slightly profitable, then is your product good enough to make profit off that customer at a later point in time because a lot of the times you might get the first part right your revenues are great but then you realize like everybody's been doing this for a long time (laughs) just to make money in shopify but your bank isn't growing yeah none of the founders are getting to a point where their personal wealth is growing sure you have let's say the confidence and like whatever like yeah you did 50 last year whatever it is but ultimately you just got to build a good business that you could actually take money out of. Yeah. And those are the companies that get acquired. Those are the ones when you raise capital, you don't have to be like, trust us, soon we'll be profit. You know what I mean? It's uh, so I would just, and the easiest way to do it is look at somebody that's already scaling and profitable, put your own version of it. Cause if you're just throwing like darts and hoping you're the one that put together like the perfect strategy, it's uh, totally less probable. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Um, what, what led you to making the move to Panama City? Uh, you've lived there for a handful, of, I believe you said three years now, right? Yeah. And you're from Canada. Yeah. What you know inspired the move to Panama City and how has it been the last three years? So me and my two co-founders, uh, Darren Lopez, Elias de Gracia, um, we moved to LA at the same time from Canada and we were on E2 investor visas. So we lived out here for about six years. What does that mean, the E2 so investor visas? You, you start a company in the U.S., and then to bring over their Canadian counterparts, you need to hire one U.S. employee for every Canadian you want to bring over on that visa. So wow. I was like the way into the U.S. <laughs> and then these are my closest friends and business partners. And uh, it's one of those situations where I'm just fortunate to have business partners that are close friends. Because yeah. like uh, I always say, I would never do business with them if they weren't like good business individuals. It yeah. just happens to be like... Uh, they're great at what they do and we're all like close boys. So yeah, that's awesome. Uh, we lived out here for about six years and we were never on the scene or anything. You know, we'd be inside, we'd be working. All we would do is just head down trying to build something great. And uh, when the visa was expiring, we were realizing like, man, we're getting dinged with like 55% tax out here. Yeah. Um, I actually started the green card process. And then uh, my close boy and co-founder, uh, he's like, let's go to Panama. Let's see what it's like for six weeks. It's 0% tax on everything. And uh, went out there for six weeks. And when we came back, I just paused the green card, (laughs) moved there. And uh, it was a pretty powerful message to send to the world because we're saying like, okay, 0% capital gain, 0% on any company exiting. And uh, when you move out there, you're kind of like, hey, I'm going to 
I'm going to throw it out in the universe and I'm going to make a power move. And yeah. when one of these companies sell, I'm not paying a cent to uh, a government that yeah. hasn't necessarily helped me in any way, shape or form, like build a business, yeah. you know? So um, it's amazing. You got to come out. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I've heard it's beautiful. Definitely plan on coming out there soon. What's I'm curious, like the lifestyle out there, aside from business, the 0% tax, how's it been living out there with friends from a, like a day-to-day life experiences everything? It, it's not bad. I feel like everyone focus on like wellness, like everybody's really health focused there. So if you're doing the plunge here and doing your morning <laughs> yeah. walk, so start the day with a morning walk every day, right at sunrise. Uh, since it's close to the equator, the sun rises and sets at the same time year round. Oh, wow. So 6.15 a.m. I'm out the door. I'll walk yeah. for an hour, then I'll get a workout in and then uh, handle things throughout the day. But it's the same thing. There's like hundreds of good restaurants, yeah. good nightlife. Uh Pretty much good spot. Work out, work, yeah. and then go eat good and uh, a few <laughs> little islands to hop. Yeah, nothing, yeah. nothing extravagant, but I think it's a good place to uh, stay laser focused and just yeah. build. You know, I'm not sure if I'll be there for the rest of my life, but uh, for the time being, until we get yeah. some of these other ones over the finish line, uh, for sure, be uh, out there. The Panama it is 100. <laughs> percent What, what inspired you? early on to get into the world of business, right? Like going back to memes.com, like did you go to college? What was your childhood like that yeah. led you to wanting to go into this world of, of business I, and entrepreneurship? I would say I saw what risk paid off. Like when I was young, like uh, my dad, he moved to London right when I was born for the first five years uh, to go work at like a geophysics company out there. And uh, there wasn't wow. much opportunity in like communist Romania when you, yeah, lived out there and uh when he was out there he got so good at what he did that the office was like hey do you want to start an office in houston or canada and uh he picked canada and we pretty much picked up and went but as i grew older i realized like that would have never even happened if he didn't just like pretty much take a wild jump move to another country and uh just wing it pretty much you know (laughs) what i mean like he always knew and then growing up i feel like uh I always felt like I really liked freedom. Like I never really liked going to school. I never got like the best grades. And uh, I started looking at like stock trading and future trading and was like, hold on, you could actually do this and make money, but not be somewhere for 10 hours a day. Yep. And uh, I was in university. I was in my sixth year of my geophysics degree oh, wow. when I started uh, like memes.com and all that yeah. and started making more money online than uh I didn't even, I would have never used my degree even if I finished yeah. it to pay. So it was wow. at a point you were where six I'm, years in, I was six wow. years in. I had like eight classes left, oh but it goodness. got to the point where it was like, uh, you dropped out. I dropped out. I had to With six, eight classes. Yeah. Left. Well, those eight classes oh, would yeah. have taken me like two and a half okay. years. I was okay. like, I was, it was like a crawling pace. I was yeah, like chipping yeah. away at like the most advanced classes. And it was already at the point where it's like, wow, over the head. I'm not even yeah. going to do this. So, um, I saw right away, like every time my alarm would ring, to go to school, it'd be like, ah, oh, the hardest thing in the world. You'd feel yeah. like there was so much resistance. You were not passionate about it. But when you started working on my own thing, you couldn't tell me to stop. You couldn't yeah. tell me to like go to sleep. You couldn't tell me to like sleep in when it comes time to working on that. So you realize like, once again, your strengths, what are you actually good at? I was not like some evil scientist yeah, yeah. Uh, destined for that. I was really good at business strategy, all these type of things and marketing. And then uh, when you realize every day you wake up, even if it's like, what's the word, like tougher than going to school, you just yeah. like realize you chose it and you're so much more passionate and excited to do it. And the main thing I did at all, just to answer your original question, was freedom. Yep. And uh, 
doesn't always play out like that. Yeah, you end yeah. up having way more yeah. on your plate than totally. uh, you would have if sometimes you just work the nine to five, right? Like yeah. uh, some people, it's not all about money. It's about quality of life. Yeah. And I think some people that work the nine to five, they can come home completely detached from uh, what they were doing. And tomorrow is a new day. If you're a decision maker and things, you have fires <laughs> to put out, you know, 24 seven, totally. there's something on your mind, right? Yeah. And I, that's, that's a great story. So when you decided to make that decision to drop out, what was, what were you thinking back then? What were your parents thinking about that oh, decision? And how did that, how did that happen? Uh, I was thinking like, I'm ready and I know this is going to succeed. You know, my family probably didn't. They were the first ones to go to university. So they thought this is the only path. Yeah. If you want people to respect you, you need a degree, blah, blah, blah. But in my mind, uh, I love that risk. I love that freedom. And if I see somebody else doing something, it's like instantly I'm like, that's achievable. It's not like, wow, they got lucky. You must be nice, you know? So from a young age, I always felt like wanted to have something that was my own and have like a, what's the word? Like a free, exciting life. Yeah. And uh, by the time I told them I was going to move to LA, I wasn't necessarily asking permission. I was saying, hey, I'm already doing this. I want your blessing, not yeah. really permission. And I'm moving out there regardless. And it was the type of thing where I'm like, I don't need financial support. Got this covered yeah. and we're going to build memes.com. And in their heads, like, what the hell is a meme? <laughs> Who is this guy? Memes.com. Yeah, they're like, and what is uh, happening? <laughs> after a bit, they came out and they saw that it was real. Like there was an office, there was a real business here. And uh, yep. um, if I finished my degree, funny story, the whole in- oil industry crashed right when I would have graduated. So it's one of those things oh where... Blessing in the skies. Blessing in the skies, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they definitely were shocked, but I felt yeah. ready. Like, I, I never felt like I was taking risk. I was, like, so ready for it. Yeah. And, uh, just hungry, you know, ready to get totally. in there. Throw me in the ring. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So, with, I'm curious now, we talked about it at the beginning, memes.com, is that still a domain that you own? Yeah. Wow. This company's still around. It's uh, not as active in a sense. We still have the social pages. Uh, yeah the largest meme generator yeah, yeah. in the app store but uh yeah it's still around so memes.com that's such a powerful domain <laughs> not bad especially in this day and age Dude, right it's crazy elon musk watches this let's partner <laughs> <kidding>. <laughs> for sure i, I want to talk about um snapchat specifically you said you had 80 different shows yeah. on snapchat i've i've been seeing a lot um like their whole platform is just incentivizing creators 100 so much i have friends that have made not only a killing on it but they've built a massive brand on there Definitely. fairly quickly what's your thoughts on snapchat specifically right now i think uh gotta get it while it's hot <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. especially the discover program i feel like uh it was much more closed before like uh, when we started getting some of our shows it was only like the buzzfeed the yeah. vices etc now I'll get like eight LinkedIn messages a day. Like, Hey bro, I can get you a Snapchat show, yeah. you know? So, uh, I think it's the type of thing. It's, uh, smart to launch more shows there, try to get as much revenue as you can. But yeah, I don't think they can sustain like the viewership on all these type of shows. Um, yeah. pretty much every month that passes, I feel like it's going to get a bit harder to get views there, but, um, can build a great brand there. And, uh, if they're sending you the traffic for free, yeah, it's worth it. Right. For sure. What, Outside of like you know the main social channels, where do you see opportunity over the next five years? Right, like talking about Snapchat, get it while it's hot. TikTok, get it while it's hot. Obviously, Twitter is going through some big changes. Do you have any ideas of like not what the next frontier is, but just where the next early opportunity is? It, maybe it's not even clear right now, but I'd love to hear your perspective on that. 
I think I'd have to say AI and I know everybody on Twitter talks about this, everybody on social, but uh, artificial intelligence is like the new dot com boom yeah. right now. So always looking to do something there or integrate like a tool that would empower like our existing companies with AI and then kind of like license that out to uh, other yeah. companies that might have like a similar need or solution. But um, it's powerful. I think AI can write your ad copy, can write your emails, can write your headlines, yep. can write a full book for you in a few milliseconds to the point that uh, I think anybody who takes stabs at that in the next two to three years and finds like their sweet spot, it'll be the same thing as like launching like Yahoo or something yeah. like that, you know? So um, spaces get crowded and I think we're like... Yeah first four to six months of this thing everyone's trying to build something yeah yeah i want to watch and see what people are doing and who's doing it right or who's doing it wrong and then i think once we find the product since we're good at marketing and getting it out to scale we're going to be the ones to like blow it up even though we might not have the let's say original idea yeah um <clears throat> we'll launch with like a competing product and just yeah. try to take uh take the market but that's where i'm like sitting on my laptop <laughs> on like chat gpt4 all night nowadays yeah. so uh have you, have, you, have you guys rolled out any like internal company uh, mandates around like, hey, use AI for this or hey, this is how you can use it internally? For yeah, we're, we're starting to see how to manage accounts yeah. with uh, AI, how to actually learn to clip longer footage into like, let's say vertical video yep. and looking at how to just like first just build automation inside our organization. And if you build the right tool, I think at a certain point, uh, can easily turn it into like a B2B type solution or a yep. B2 creator <laughs> instead yeah. of consumer, you know? So looking to do that and uh, yeah, cool. whether it's a company we start or something we find that hasn't picked up necessarily too big yet and we can just like acquire and skip like the yep. first six months of like, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> Building. The, exactly. Like yeah. uh, we've done that for so long that now we're just trying to scale, find good opportunities, put capital, yep. scale the business and, uh, I don't know how many other companies I want to be in like from day one, yeah. do this over and over again. Cause like you're, uh, you guys are incubating and like creating exactly. that whole wheelhouse, like vertically yeah. integrated products across everything. It's uh need some time for like <laughs> the physical health, other yeah. things in life, you know? No, I love that. Outside of like, speaking of physical health, do you have any long-term goals that, you know, are, are important to you that are more so just like big endeavors that you want to tackle for me for context. Like last year I ran my first marathon. That was something yeah. that was just outside of business, but life was a goal of mine. Do you have anything like that in your life? Oh, respect. I actually saw that. <laughs> no, I, I always like keep up to date with like your cold plunge journey, all that, which is sure. amazing. Uh, for me, I'm just trying to live the rest of my life, how I'm going to live the rest of my life. As crazy as that sounds, I don't want to sprint too hard in one direction. I just want to be able to say, Hey, like, the lifestyle I'm adapting now is generally yeah. healthy, active. You eat good. I want to be moving the same when I'm 55, when I'm yeah. 70. So I'm trying to find that balance of uh, just be consistent. You know yeah. what I mean? I don't necessarily have uh, any goals like a marathon in mind. Like I used to train a lot in martial arts and I want to start it. doing that again once or twice a week. Uh, but other than that, just stay fit, eat clean, get good yep. sleep, manage the stress. And uh, I think everything else just falls into place, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. I think I always listen to the uh, Andrew Huberman in Huberman Labs and talking about, I've been super into sleep data the past year. Yeah. I got the eight sleep mattress, the aura ring, that whole thing. And just seeing the days that I either don't sleep well or do, and that it compounded over time. I heard this uh, 
quote. It was like, instead of asking someone like, how are you? You could ask them, how have you been sleeping lately? And you could instantly get a sense of how they are from a stress level, from a mood perspective, everything on that key indicator. So how many hours a night are you getting? Usually seven. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Sometimes six and a half, sometimes eight just really depends on when I'm getting to sleep, but I try to be consistent, go to sleep like 10, 1030, wake up at six. So that's my schedule right too. There. Honestly, you know, that's a good time. You know, yeah. nothing good happens after dark. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> For sure. I'm, uh, I'm on the same boat. So uh, I've been trying to get the seven, eight hours of sleep. And then the other thing is just limiting your screen time. You know, like I, I was in the era where I still got to see what it was like to like play outside as a kid, not have a cell phone in my hand 24 yeah. seven. And uh, now if I look at my screen time, sometimes it's like eight hours. Yeah. You know, and that's just like your phone that does not, include your laptop your yep. tvs any of that so uh i know you've probably heard it a million times but like uh deciding what you see first in the morning yep versus uh picking up your phone and seeing like this is bad we need something yeah. immediately you know getting that like adrenaline spike and yeah you not choosing how to start your day versus uh just waiting like hey i'm gonna exercise i'm gonna eat yeah. first and then whatever's out there will still be out there you know yep. the small chance of it being like no, so I, nuclear that you don't for sure it's like yeah. you could check for fires but no I, for me i i've been in the mindset especially like the last couple months i try to give myself like an hour hour and a half no 100%. phone like i wake up at six i don't look at my phone until like 7 seven thirty when i'm heading to the gym and that has it's given me such a clarity of my day in the morning versus like if you get trapped on your phone for 15 minutes in the morning uh, 6 30 your email texting and then try to get back to like diving to a book, then your mind's already spinning and going and thinking 100%. about the things you got to respond to. Um, right. So that's been sort of like my my experiment recently. Is just like hour minimum, no phone in the morning. Leave it upstairs, and just it's smart. I mean, it's just so new to like humans to have this much <laughs> stimulation, you know. Yeah. And uh, it happened rapidly. I mean, what the iPhone's a bit over ten years old. Yeah. Facebook's a bit over ten years old. The internet's thirty. So. Uh, I don't think anyone has the data on how bad this is. Yeah. And I think in the future, uh, being in the social space, being in this, like there will be like courses and stuff like how to like detox from that because dopamine, it truly is de- yeah, whatever detox. it is. Right. Yeah. So uh, I think it's important. I don't know who, where I read it before, but like Tim Ferriss, I think it might've been, they were talking about like the power of journaling the second you wake up mm-hmm. and you just write whatever pops into your head first. So if you woke up and you're like, yeah, I shouldn't have ate that last night. Shouldn't have ate that last night. Like (laughs) I slept okay. Like whatever. He's like, just get the thoughts that come into your head on paper first thing in the morning. And then you'll realize like patterns right away. Yeah. And those might be the same things that like, if you didn't write them out, they'd be like haunting you the whole day, just like bouncing around in your mind. Right. So, um, been trying to do that. I've been just trying to start the day with the walk and then, uh, started on your own terms basically. Yeah. I love that. It's so crazy. I don't know who told me this recently, but like speaking of AI, right? Like thinking yeah. about social, like I'm, I'm 22 and I, I appreciate the fact that what you just said of like growing up in a world where you're not glued to your phone, like yeah. it's such a blessing looking back and to the future point, like in a world where our kids in a sense, like 100%. they won't, they won't grow up in a world that doesn't have AI, like strongly yeah. implemented into everything they do. Everything. And you see that, like, I can't imagine being, in middle school, high school right now and, and being on TikTok and then seeing chat GPT and all the yeah. use cases and not finding ways to just it, accelerate, cheat, leverage yeah. your time and just automate everything and in your education life. Education <laughs> has to change, right? Because yeah. is somebody going to write three pages of math by hand nowadays? Probably not. They'll 
put it into chat yeah. GPT and that's yeah. how they should be trained. Like if you have new tools and resources, the education system should like catch up to that yeah. and teach you how to use those to better empower your decision making. Cause I can confidently say after being in the universe for so long, like you could ask me so much of what I've learned <laughs> and I don't remember a thing, you know? Yeah. And I just wish I knew how to vet people better when hiring, how to do these yeah. things. And you don't ever get to learn that. Yeah. Instead of being thrown in the fire and just learning it in real time, you know, but totally. uh, I think the schools at the same time are going to have to teach kids what like what an advertisement is like this thing's literally trying to make you feel like uh, insecure. So you buy this yeah. product. This thing's trying yeah. to spike your dopamine. And if it doesn't start at a young age, like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think they there's a lot of influence on children nowadays. Yeah. And I don't know what the answer is, but whoever <laughs> figures it out, it's going to be a rich, rich person. Yeah, for sure. Now, there's so much we could dive into there, but like wrapping up here, if looking into the future, what are you excited about when it comes to all of the different brands you own, media entities, just what excites you, projects, initiatives, opportunities, looking into the future? Yeah, I mean, originally it was uh, get an exit, get a lot of money, and then do whatever you want with the money, and then once that happened, you realize like the only thing you want to do anyways is stuff you never needed the money for in the first place. Like, well, I want to work out. I want to do the same basics. Um, I just want to really become great at like building the businesses and uh, try to take them to the, the highest levels they can be. Outside of that, I want to invest in other companies and start a fund eventually where uh, you can inspire yep. and pretty much support like uh, the new innovators of the world. Um, I don't think I want to jump on the ground floor and like bootstrap something from scratch yeah. anymore. I've done that for a long time, but, uh, I would say, yeah, just build an amazing business. And at the same time, if you focus on the process, that's when a company wants to come in and buy you. But at the same time, if you don't get acquired, it's like, man, you have yeah. business that's printing money yeah. year over year. And, uh, you get it to a point where it's, uh, managed in a way that it's not too stressful and, uh, take it from there. But, I love that consistency and uh, become really good at what you do is pretty much the goal. Love that. Whatever happens between there, I guess uh, <laughs> yeah, no one yeah. knows. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Awesome. Well, Raz, thank you so much for, for coming on the show today. I know you've been that trying case, to make this happen for a while now. For everyone that's watching or listening, where's the best place that they can follow you and stay up to date with everything you have going on? I would say just uh, Instagram. I don't really post too much on LinkedIn or Twitter, or any of those. Uh, okay. Just in the shadows building, you know <laughs> what I mean? But uh, love that. We're coming. Love that. Well, I will make sure to link that down below. Everyone Perfect. tuning in, watching, or listening, please make sure you subscribe. Share this episode with a friend, especially someone that is looking to get into the media space. And I will talk to you guys soon. Thank you so much for listening. Perfect. Thanks a lot.